This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we like to talk all things property. We're starting with a bit of local news, we'll then move to national news about the market and so forth and after that we may even have an international article there which we can pop in at the end which was particularly interesting around a tenant getting hurt in a tragic circumstance and uh, that will lead to, a, I guess, more of a conversation around uh, trying to keep our tenants safe in rental properties. But first of all today, I was just looking in stuff.co.nz, and Janine Rankin had an article with an update about the Kiwi Rail Freight Centre hearing, and it's back on track. So Bunnythorpe residents have brought in legal help to challenge the foundations of Kiwi Rail's proposal to build massive rail yards, container handling and freight forwarding facilities on the outskirts of Palmerston North. A commissioner's hearing into the plans to designate land for the 177 hectare development between the city's airport and the rural community was interrupted four weeks ago by the COVID-19 alert level 4 lockdown. Recently a hybrid hearing was reconvened in Palmerston North in which some submitters appeared in person while others, including three of the four commissioners, joined in virtually from around the country. Buddythorpe residents Aaron Fox and Joanne Whittle live close enough to the proposed development to be affected by the changes but outside the area Kiwiwaro wants to designate to force compulsory purchases. Through their lawyer, Fern Tannock, Tankook, excuse me, they and others have asked commissioners to recommend QL withdraw its notice of requirement to designate. So there was a bit of a, a legal argument there. The Kiwi Rail's application for the Provincial Growth Fund, which granted $40 million for planning, designing, designating and buying the land, is generally what they're talking about here. But what's a bit stressful for residents nearby is that well, first of all, if you are living in the area uh, where, where they're looking at putting the Kiwi Rail Hub, they can purchase your property under the Government Works Act and um, there's not a lot you can do about that. But the people who are concerned are the ones who are just outside the bounds of that and it's understandable. Um, quite a lot of stress there, not knowing what to do, not knowing what it will do to the value of their properties, etc. It's a, It's really a tricky one and it begs the question, when companies, organisations or the government are doing these sort of land purchases, uh, is there a margin around the edges to allow for uh, disturbance or disruption to others? And I don't know the answer to that on the uh, in the case of this particular development, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, it's a hard one. So that's underway um, in layman's terms. Unfortunately, the, the greater good may uh, may prevail, but we'll see what happens there. Hopefully they could negotiate something if, um, if Kiwi Rail was able to do that. Another news, and this is just relating to, I guess, movement of people into the area, and this is job opportunities rapidly returning to Manawatu after the lockdown blow. 
The number of job opportunities in Manawatu hit a brick wall with the latest lockdown, but demand for workers is so high recovery is expected to be quick. SEEK's August employment report showed Manawatu had the third largest drop in job listings over the latest lockdown, with a 15% decrease from July to August. Recruitment agency One Staff's regional manager, Matt Grucott, said while it was technically possible to keep recruitment going while working from home, most employers held off until they knew how long the lockdown would last. However, unlike the first time Manawatu left Alert Level 4 when companies cautiously and slowly resumed recruitment, Grucott expected the market to uh, spring back into place. So it's uh, interesting that there's still plenty of opportunities here. There are still plenty of people moving to this region uh, to do work here, and that's uh, fantastic. It's good for growth in property and uh, demand in properties. Uh, Not so good, I guess, if you are trying to find somewhere to live, as there's less to choose from. So in this less to choose from, there's an article in stuff.co.nz by Amanda Kropp that says buses turned into budget tiny homes are helping families beat rising house prices and soaring rental costs. And they give the example of a couple here, Dominic Misson and Alicia Fisk, share a bus tiny home with their two-month-old son Felix. And for less than $40,000, a bus that once carried cruise ship passengers and city commuters has been converted into a permanent home for this young Nelson family. They will park up the 11-metre bus on a rural property rather than travelling the country in it, and they are far from alone in seeing bus tiny homes as an alternative to soaring costs of a newly built home, unaffordable rents and precarious tenancies. As tour companies are hit hard by the prolonged border closure, they've been selling off surplus buses and there are to be bargains to be had for savvy buyers with DIY skills. So spurred on by the arrival of the two-month-old baby Felix, who has his own nursery over the wheel hub, the Nelson couple did much of the work themselves, with Fisk carefully recording spending on a spreadsheet. He says it, or she says, it came just under $40,000 for everything, every screw and the cost of the tools we bought. The total includes the $8,000 they paid for the 45-seater 1990-man bus bought from the Marlborough Tour Company forced to downsize. It's interesting, and then this article goes through and talks about other people uh, who are doing this um, sort of thing as well. And they say that uh, before the latest lockdown, the Bus and Coach Association had lost a third of its 167 tour bus members and is expected to see more close their doors for good this summer. Trade Me last week had 169 buses for sale, and while bus sales were down about 12% for the first quarter of 2021, there were over 15,500 site searches for buses in August. So um, they go carry on and talk about how prices of second-hand buses has dropped up to 50%, with 20-year-old models typically going for between twenty dollars and $50,000. So it's pretty pretty interesting to see how, what people can do. And I always love the, the tiny home shows on TV that show you different things here. Uh, part of this article does say that a $7,000 solar system will allow a family to live completely off-grid and run a few luxuries, such as a television and a coffee machine. <laughs> so, so there we go. It uh, seems to be something that does appeal to some people. It does beg quite a few questions here. I'd certainly be wanting to know uh, about uh, where you would put it and uh, in which case um, and where you're allowed to put it and those sorts of things as well. So is there a downside? Well, yes, um, they, they talk about a Canterbury couple 
who say the bus costs about $3,000 a year in maintenance and certificates of fitness. And because it was not designed as a house, she regularly had problems with things like water pumps and diesel heaters. And uh, saying that anything that went wrong took a minimum of $1,000 to fix. So uh, that's something that some people are doing. Is it a permanent thing and would it suit everybody? Probably not. But uh, certainly it's a solution to these uh, rising, continual rising house prices and rising rents um, to, to buy something at a fixed price and then just work on the maintenance. Sometimes you might have to lease a little bit of land to put it on. I guess that's the possibility there as well. This article about rents from goodreturns.co.nz says that rents remain at all-time highs. So just following on from that last article. TradeMe's rental price index shows the national medium weekly rent matched the record high first seen in July and rose 8% on the same time last year. Records were broken in Southland at $395, Waikato $500, Bay of Plenty $560 and Canterbury $490. TradeMe Property Sales Director Gavin Lloyd says prices were expected to slow considering tenants and landlords were stuck at home for most of the month but instead the rental market charged on. Every region in the country had an annual increase in rent. So unlike house prices, the alert level restrictions resulted in a marked drop in both market supply and demand last month as prospective tenants could not view or visit properties. There were some exceptions around the national demand uh, dropping, which has happened in past lockdowns. Manutu Wanganui only dropped 2%. Uh, under lockdown in terms of demand, so it just shows that it's a pretty strong market here indeed. And while the median weekly rent in Wellington is $600 in August, uh, certainly Palmas North looks like a much more uh, affordable option for for many people there, uh, renting and commuting, for example. Another news, this was on scoop.co.nz, and it is based from a press release from ACT New Zealand, so just put that little disclaimer in there. But it says, ACT calls for housing tax grab to be scrapped. The government is rushing through housing tax changes, like the interest limitation rules, before 1st of October under urgency in order to lay their hands on an extra $800 million, says ACT Deputy Leader and Housing Spokesperson Brooke Van Velden. From October 1, most residential property investors will no longer be able to deduct interest as an expense when paying tax. Now this is quite a major because we're talking about the interest on the mortgage repayments, which is usually uh, quite a large figure. On Monday, Grant Robinson said there would be no select committee process for mum and dad investors to have their say on the proposed new law. Removing interest deductibility is a tax grab, it's intended to to line the government coffers at the expense of the mum and dad investor to the tune of an estimated $800 million. We still don't know what the rules look like and what the government deems to be a new build. According to ACT, these changes are divisive and unfair. They're about blaming investors and are a new source of revenue for the government but won't do what they're touted to do, which is improve housing affordability. A majority of economists, academics and property experts believe the government's housing changes will be paid for by tenants. This divisive policy targets residential property investors but will actually squeeze the middle class and hurt some of the most vulnerable people in New Zealand. Now, with rental property, it's treated 
largely as a business. It's an investment that many people have. They may only have one property. And the easiest way to offset extra charges for landlords is to up the rents and pass that on to the tenants. Now, while that sounds nasty, that has happened time and time again as the government has added costs to landlords that it's the tenants who suffer. Really, I'm tending to agree to a certain extent with ACT that it's not going to do what it says it, it will do and it won't make investing in property much less uh, desirable. That's probably the word I'm looking for. Much less desirable um, because really property is still a very good um, investment. So we're going to go to a little bit of music now. We're just going to have a break. Some Kiwi music. This is LAB. I've been a pretty big fan since I saw their concert recently in Wellington. This is LAB in the air.
and you're listening to Property Matters here on MPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irirangi o Ngā Tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson. It's lovely having your company. That was LAB with In The Air. Nice cruisy Kiwi tunes there for us today. So we've been talking property before the break and we'll just carry on, of course, in line with, uh, in line with that. This article from Stuff by Susan Edmonds, says that banks hike interest rates despite lockdown in Auckland. So three of the banks have pushed home loan interest rates up this week. Uh, Kiwi Bank was the first to move, increasing its one-year rate from 2.49 to 2.65, so that's around about uh, 16% of a um, percentage point. Its standard rate lifted from 334 to 3.5, similar margin, ANZ lifted its one-year special from 2.55 to 2.65, a 0.1% change. And so they're not large margins that they're changing them, but they are changing them nevertheless. However, ASB increased its six-month, 18-month, one- and two-year rates by 26 basis points and 30 basis points. So the one-year rates lifted to 2.85. So... What does this mean? Well, in the case of ASB, for someone who had a mortgage of half a million dollars over 25 years, that increase on its one-year rate would add about $30 a fortnight or $15 a week. So it illustrates that relatively small-sounding changes to the interest rate can convert to quite a large amount on a um, when, when worked out as uh, a week-by-week or fortnightly payment. So this article here I thought quite interesting. It's called First Home Buyer's Tips, Smash Your Debt and Don't Write Off Auctions. So this gives an example of Christina Bauer and Mike Hay who started thinking about buying their first home in mid-2020. By last November they were busy saving every cent and now they've finally bought a three-bedroom home in a way they never believed they could. They say we joined a lot of first home buying groups on social media and we think the biggest misconception among the first home buyers is that you can't win at auction, said Bauer. She and Hay started off only looking at houses they could offer on. But once they added auctions into the mix, she said the potential options opened up by 40 to 50%. The couple, who both work for an insulation company in Taupo, saved their entire $105,000 deposit with KiwiSaver, which they'd been contributing to since starting employment. So they both bumped their KiwiSavers into high-risk growth funds, which really helped to increase our deposit balance. That's something I've actually done myself recently. I've got a bit of time on my side, so you can pop them in the high-risk, and that can get um, some really uh, quite good returns. But they say the biggest impact on upping their savings was moving into a significantly cheaper rental and deleting any all buy-now-pay-later apps. The couple and Bauer's six-year-old daughter moved into a 60-square-metre Rental in Kinlock, a small town about 20 minutes outside Taupo. The rental cost them $325 per week. And that was far, far cheaper than anything in town, she said. <laughs> it's quite a funny article. She says, for nine months we massively got on each other's nerves in that small space, but we recovered a big chunk of our wages, about 20%, that we weren't even seeing previously. And it was one more motivation to get a place as soon as possible. Bauer cut back on her clothes-buying habit, cut up the credit cards and deleted any apps that encouraged unnecessary spending. Here's an interesting bit. She chipped away at clearing $10,000 worth of debt, which boosted their purchasing power from $588,000 to $670,000. So by clearing $10,000 of debt, they got almost $100,000 more lending. She says, if 
if you smash out debt, you'll be able to borrow more as you have more ability to service a mortgage. However, the couple did give themselves a price cap of 550 with mortgage repayments front of mind. They also saved a little bit for some of those extras like building reports, evaluation and lawyer's fees, which can be thousands. Uh, a combination of all of those things can be thousands. So they did a lot of learning. They looked at a lot of properties. Um, eventually they put the, an offer in on a sort of like what you might call a starter house and um, and, the, and to see, see how that went. They had initially ruled out that options auctions wouldn't be an option for them as first home buyers because a deposit has to be put down in 24 hours. But the couple's mortgage broker organised a temporary overdraft at the deposit amount and the KiwiSaver funds paid this back automatically when they came through. So that was quite a good move too. Uh, beware though, she says, the overdrafts are high interest. Uh, ours was 52500 and the interest was $28 per day. So you want to get that from your KiwiSaver and back in, but it did allow them to to bid at auction. Another thing for first-home buyers, she said it's uh, very important to have a solid team behind you, a great mortgage broker, real estate agent and lawyer. This is what they do all day, every day. You should be able to lean on them and learn the ropes from them. And don't forget to shop around because they found that most lawyers were charging 2300 plus, but they found theirs for um, 1800 instead. So just to recap, says find a great mortgage broker and, and other professionals, find out what purchasing power you have with the funds you have and whether you can make that better by paying off some debt. Before you start going to open homes, get your pre-approval sorted. Wear shoes that are easy to take on and off for all those open homes. I cannot stress this enough, <laughs> she says. I can relate because I wear slip-ons <laughs> in my job going in and out of houses all the time. Remember that uh, the first-home buyers can pr- purchase via auction uh, depending on the bank's pre-approval criteria. So they were able to bid at auction as long as they had the 20% deposit. They did not require evaluation if they had that minimum of 20%. So finally, this article here, one for landlords to consider when tenants are asking for work to be done. And this is, I'm sorry, this is a bit of a sad note to finish on. It's, um, it's, it's from the UK A girl, age six, was in a coma after a concrete fireplace in a rented property falls on her head. So Alexa Lee Blakemore suffered serious head injuries, including a fractured skull and bleeding on the brain. She's in a a serious but stable condition. This has actually become uh, international news. So she remains in a coma at a children's hospital after suffering these, these terrible injuries. Her dad, Kieran Blakemore, and her mum, Elle Williams, of Norris Green and Merseyside, said their daughter's condition is touch and go after the accident that happened uh, on the 10th of September around 8.10pm. The pair, who rent from a private landlord, say they've been calling for repairs in the property and want to warn others to make sure heavy fireplaces are secure. The fireplace is believed to have fallen due to crumbling plaster. Now remember, as landlords, we have an obligation under health and safety to make sure that the uh, the people are the tenants are safe and that hazards are mitigated or removed. So the fireplace, which is described, if you can imagine this, is being made out of concrete and marble is believed to have fallen due to crumbling plaster. Handyman Mr Blakebore told the Liverpool Echo, I was lying on the couch feeding our five-week-old baby and her mum was in the bath. Alexa Lee was doing her thing like she normally does, running around and playing like the happy girl she is. I was concentrating on feeding my baby, but I could see her out of the corner of my eye. All of a sudden there was a crash and this thing had fallen on her and there was a lot of blood. So 
Um, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. There is a GoFundMe page that uh, they, they mentioned in the article. Um, I just, I guess, I just wanted to put that in there, even though it's not nice to talk about. But um, in this country, in New Zealand, we've got the laws around having an environment which is generally safe for the tenants. And uh, I would just encourage landlords to keep a, a bit of an eye out on, on things uh, with their rental properties if things are deteriorating or, or could cause a hazard. And that's something where also if you're renting out a home that's currently empty, if there is a hazard, you, these need to be taken care of uh, as per our health and safety legislation because all landlords in New Zealand are covered under the health and safety Act because it's decided that you're in business. You're, you're a person uh, conducting business of renting out a rental property and you are responsible for things uh, that can occur that are health and safety or hazard related. So just take another look at your rental properties. Have a look at uh, are there, is there anything there that is dangerous or that could cause injury and what can be done about that. That would be my sort of word of advice. Just from a moral point of view, imagine how the owners of that property would feel knowing what had happened to that little girl, let alone the fact that they may very well in future be taken to task um, for having a situation that was unsafe causing that serious injury and and one would hope that that uh, little girl will will recover uh, from that. So that's all we've got time for this week on Property Matters. Sorry to um, talk a little bit on that sombre note, but I really just wanted to use that as a little bit of a, a, a word of warning, really, to get our ducks in a row. And uh, it's been lovely having your company today, and I've really enjoyed the show. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. It's available on MPR, Manawatu People's Radio.nz, and so are the previous shows. As well as that, it's where all good uh, podcasts can be found. Thanks for listening to Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson. Have a great week. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the KiwiFruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.